Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. There are a few things we kind of talk about every year. They're sort of the benchmarks of our college football summer. And when we talk about them, it kind of lets you know that we're getting that much closer to the beginning of the season. Today is one of those days. It's one of those things I've kind of always enjoyed. A guy named Bud Elliott. We've had Bud on the show a good number of years. Bud, I think, is a really smart college football guy, uh, kind of covering the sport from kind of the recruiting aspect. Worked for a couple of different websites. Works now for uh, 24-7 Sports. And one of the things that I guess Bud is probably the most famous for, and you kind of always hope you have something out there that people can kind of remember you by and i guess this will be probably bud's first line of his wikipedia page one day is that he invented this thing called the blue chip ratio you've heard me talk about this before we were actually talking about this a good number of years ago when it was fairly a new idea it's become pretty mainstream so almost everyone has had some interaction with this it's the idea that a national champion in college football requires a benchmark in excess of 50% in terms of former four and five star recruits signed over the previous four year period. In other words, that if you want to win the national championship, the kind of uh, sort of credential you need to be able to do that is you better have signed and have on your roster more four and five star recruits over the previous four years than recruits of a lesser caliber, three stars or less. And it's worked out to always be true ever since bud elliott's been doing this the team that's won the national championship has always been kind of a blue chip ratio team in most years the overwhelming majority of playoff teams are also going to be these sort of blue chip ratio teams and so because of the success of kind of predicting who can and can't win the national championship the idea of the blue chip ratio has kind of gotten a little bit more well known it kind of is more talked about in mainstream circles than it used to i really like stuff like this because i think it's really easy to understand i think it does have a lot of connection what's actually happening on the field so this is an example of kind of a numbers oriented college football discussion that i think is really pretty valuable so the blue chip ratio for the upcoming 2023 season has been re-released and when you look at it i think you see something pretty interesting now i'm going to talk about some of the other teams who are kind of in and not in the blue chip ratio club a little bit later on the show but for now let me just solely focus on georgia and when you look at georgia here you see something about georgia that i think makes it unique in comparison to the other teams that are I guess most in contention for the national championship. Can we see this on the screen? Uh, Bud Elliott, twenty four seven Sports blue chip ratio here for this year. These are the teams that kind of exceed the total of you know more four and five star recruits over the previous four years than not. You've got what? Uh, how many do you have? What fifteen here in total that kind of are, are sort of arrive at that category here for this year? And if you look at the top three for a second, here's what you see. First of all, maybe to Georgia fans, you might be surprised to find out that Georgia is not number one in this category. Georgia's only number three. 77% of Georgia's previous four years, 77% of the signees out of high school were former four and five star recruits. Ohio State's above that. Ohio State's 85% on that. And Alabama is the highest of all. They are at 90%. Now, stop here for a moment. Now, we don't really like Alabama. We like to make fun of uh, Nick Saban, the Crimson Tide, when we can. But just take this at face value for a moment. That is a remarkable achievement to think that over the course of the previous four years, 90% of the players that you've signed out of high school have been former four- and five-star recruits. That's just kind of amazing. Georgia, much lower than that. or I shouldn't say much lower than that, but they are lower than that at 77%. Now, let me point out something here for a moment. There are lots of things this 
you know, kind of off-season time of year when it happens, we might say, oh, well, that's Georgia not getting enough credit or that's Georgia being overlooked. And some of that's like the stuff that Kirk Herbstreet said we talked about on Monday or the stuff that previous analyst types have uh, said we've talked about or maybe the ESPN FPI that only had Georgia rated as, I think, also number three as opposed to where maybe most of us think they should be at number one. This is not an example of Georgia being overrated or I should say underrated or overlooked or anything like that. This is just simple arithmetic. It's simply counting the signees that Georgia has had and counting the signees that programs like Alabama and Ohio State have had simple arithmetic puts Georgia below both Alabama and Ohio State in uh, this overall category now if Bud Elliott were here we can take that down now thank you if Bud Elliott were here what he would say is is that Alabama having more signees than Georgia doesn't necessarily make them more likely win the national championship this is more of a binary thing of either you're in the blue chip ratio club or you're not so it's important to kind of keep that in mind And it's important to note that for Georgia fans, they would say, okay, well, our favorite team may only be at 77%, slightly above three out of every four players in this roster. And yet somehow having less blue chip players overall than a program like Ohio State, which Georgia beat last year, and a program like Alabama, which Georgia beat two years ago, somehow that, that hasn't hurt Georgia. And I do think that's really, really interesting. And I don't, think it's, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. I just think it's a different thing that Georgia has charted a little bit different path than the two teams that we think are most consistently Georgia's top competition for winning national championships, Alabama and Ohio State. Georgia has just sort of charted a very different path on that. Georgia has been much more content to trust lesser recruits in key areas and the hopes of bringing home its national championship and that has worked out really well for Georgia and I think this is just kind of amazing and you know we talked yesterday about you know the constant comparisons between Georgia and Alabama and Kirby Smart being compared to Nick Saban Kirby Smart at times being thought of the next Nick Saban in college football or someone who kind of came from the Nick Saban coaching tree but what you see with really any successful coach is even though he may have been, you know, trained alongside a guy or been, you know, mentored by a guy, eventually a coach that's going to become successful is going to have to kind of chart his own path to being able to do that. And clearly this is an example of that, that somehow Kirby Smart has just sort of trusted his own scouting, his own eye for talent in a way that sometimes runs against the grain of what the recruiting industry thinks or what other programs like Alabama and Ohio State are pursuing that Georgia's just been content to kind of go about this a different way, and I just kind of find that to be interesting. I'll give you a couple of examples here. One of those guys is Lad McConkey. Lad McConkey was not a big-time recruit. Uh, Connor Riley wrote a story about Lad at Dog Nation yesterday. Think about a program like Tennessee, which I think Lad would have liked to have played for. Tennessee didn't even give the scholarship offer to Lad McConkey, whereas Georgia was willing to do that. Part of the genesis of Lad McConkey right now is the fact that Jim Nagy, who's a scout, a good friend of Mike Griffith, of course, but also uh, the guy that runs the uh, senior bowl he was on twitter this week talking about lad mcconkey which kind of plays into what we're saying here which is three out of every four players in the georgia roster slightly more than that are former four and five star recruits but some of georgia's best players in a way that's not true for alabama and ohio state are not former four and five star recruits this is a thing that sort of made georgia different lad mcconkey is a great example of that let me show you what jim nagy from the senior bowl said about lad this week he says this guy generated good discussion among a group of former nfl players during tape study session at the uh, day one of the senior bowl scout school yesterday he says we predict he's far more talented than many people will give him credit for in the early stages of the pre-draft process perhaps until they see up close and mobile meaning hoping he'll come to the senior bowl and in that same tweet uh nagy went on to talk about some of the things that sort of sets lad mcconkey apart 
This is a guy who had darn near 800 yards receiving a year ago for Georgia, clearly far better than his recruiting ranking would have suggested that he probably should have been. And it's not just Ladd McConkey for whom that's true. You've also got a very prominent example on defense for Georgia right now and Javon Bullard. Javon Bullard was a guy that really nobody knew anything about. And eventually Bullard kind of became and has become one of Georgia's best overall defensive players. Plus, you know, previous editions of Georgia football would have featured guys like Stetson Bennett, for whom that was definitely true. Jordan Davis, also a former three-star recruit, for whom that was definitely true. Georgia's just had a real eye for identifying these kinds of guys. And sometimes it's not just like the star player for whom that's true. Sometimes it's the guy who's contributing to death, or uh, I should say depth, not death, contributing to depth, challenging to maybe be a starter, like a guy like Austin Blasky along the offensive line. There are just lots of examples for Georgia where you know the assistant coaches Kirby Smart himself have been able to identify these guys that aren't necessarily contributing to your blue chip ratio but are certainly contributing to your ability to win on the field and as I've told you before you know if you could really sit down with Kirby Smart and talk to him and kind of find out what it is that Kirby knows that maybe other coaches don't this may be the subject that's kind of the most interesting uh, of all of how do you identify these guys that you know, the recruiting industry doesn't necessarily make a big deal out of. They're not former four and five star recruits, but they are eventually some of your best players on what is the best team in all of college football. Well, late last season, kind of in that postseason time of year, Kirby did sort of talk about, you know, identifying talent, whether it be a Stetson Bennett or a Ladd McConkey or a Javon Bullard or a Jordan Davis or a fill in the blank. You know, Kirby did sort of talk about, you know, what it is they're looking for and how come it is that with lesser four and five star recruits than programs like Alabama and Ohio State, Georgia has proven to be a better team. How are they finding players that allows them to do that? And how come it is that sometimes they value a lesser recruit over a player that has more notoriety? on the recruiting landscape. This is some of what Kirby Smart said about that late last year. This is interesting. Here's Kirby. I don't think anybody's got it figured out. I certainly don't think we have a secret sauce for, for identifying players. We all watch the same tape. The problem is I've come to the conclusion there's very minimal difference between player A and player B if they're, if they're both starting, both playing, and they're both getting recruited by SEC schools. There's minimal difference. The difference is in with the hard wiring of that player. And I don't know, we all talk about it. We all say, well, I want the right guy. I want intangibles. I want him to have this and that and this and that. Like the difference in these two is they hate to lose. Like these guys hate to lose against each other day in and day out. And I've started saying, you know what? You're gonna sign three D tackles. You're gonna sign five DBs. You're gonna sign two tight ends. You're gonna sign a quarter. Sign the ones that can't stand losing. I just think that's so good from Kirby Smart. And, you know, sometimes we talk about the idea of like art versus science. You know, blue chip ratio is about science. And I do think it matters. A team that doesn't have more than 50% of its signees, former four and five star recruits, I take Bud Elliott at his word. I don't believe that team can win the national championship. But former four and five star recruits alone, as Kirby Smart says there, aren't necessarily going to guarantee a national championship either that the science of having measurable talents obviously important but the art of being able to find out in the group of elite players who really can't stand losing who really wants to win like they want their next breath and being able to scout that and identify that that's the part that I think has set Kirby Smart apart and made him so different than other coaches in college football and I think it's interesting in fact it's interesting enough that I want you to hear a little bit more of Kirby Smart on the same topic this is Kirby again the ability part is important it's not it's not 
it's not to be diminished, but sign the right mental makeup and get people that can develop. Um, and, and, and how do you measure that, right? Like, like, like you can't measure that just on a phone conversation. You know, these two guys were Zoom babies. They Zoomed. And, and this guy sent in 100 videos. We've heard about his videos, but Coach Munkin Zoomed with him and his coach to sell his coach on how we could use him to make him believe that, you know what, I can be a part of an offense that hadn't used the tight end that way. And so he had to sit on a Zoom. And I'm like, if they'll sit on a Zoom during COVID, they go, they'll probably be successful because most people won't do that. In recruiting, kids are like, I'm not sitting on a Zoom and talking about that. Well, this guy was sending in videos out in his backyard. You know, he's, he's got a military background. And when you've got a military background, you probably got some toughness and some, some makeup about you that makes you the right way. And we, we've been fortunate to make some good decisions on kids that, uh, you know, maybe other programs didn't value their uh, intangibles enough. So for context, the two guys that Kirby Smart's talking about there, that's Javon Bullard and Brock Bowers. This is from the press conference on the day after last year's national championship game. He's talking about Bowers and Bullard when he says all that. And understand the point that I'm trying to make here. I'm not saying that it's good that Georgia has signed less former four- and five-star recruits in their programs. And I'm certainly not saying it's bad that Alabama's got 90% of its roster that's former four- and five-star guys and that Ohio State has 85. This isn't about good or bad. It's about different. Sometimes the thing that makes you the most successful is the way in which you draw a distinction between yourself and everybody else. And this, to me, is the Kirby Smart distinction. This is the Kirby Smart difference. This is the distinction that makes a difference when it comes to Kirby Smart. That in addition to signing a whole bunch of very talented players, Georgia is also seemingly very good at kind of finding the special guy that maybe people don't quite know as much about. Or the guy that, I mean, Bowers was a four-star recruit, but my gosh, he ought to have been a ten-star recruit. That that Georgia just seems to really be able to identify that and has a special way of kind of scouting in addition to the sort of regular athletic measurables that everybody can see. And if you're looking for the reasons why Georgia's won the last two national championship, I think this is as good a reason as anything. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Breda Pest Management. Happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, we're on the radio at noon, on App and Sports Radio 960, The Ref, and we are available as a podcast, wherever you find them, Apple, Spotify. We post the show each and every day at the worldfamousdognation.com, whichever way in which you connect with our show, we're just really glad you do so. And a big thanks to our friends at Breda Pest Management who make the show all possible. Our buddy Matt Brady from Brady, you know, you see him a lot of time in our comment sections, on our live videos, things like that, interacting with Georgia fans and having a good time. And that's what we love about so many of our sponsors. Certainly Brady Pest Management, a great example of this. These are regular folks. These are good people who are big sports fans, big dog fans, and they're as happy when good stuff happens for Georgia as anybody else who's watching or listening to us right now. And it's stuff like that that has made Breda Pest Management the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. That means when you're in Sanford Stadium, including a little bit of a new look Sanford Stadium later on this fall, when you're there and you're looking around, you're going to see a building that's protected by Breda. That means no termites, no bugs, no critters. They're preventing all that from kind of getting in, and they can provide that same level of strength for you in your property there as well whether it's your home or your commercial property or whatever you got going on rental property anything else like that breda pest management can kind of keep you protected on all of that and 
when you leverage their strength and their resources, they've been in business since 1975. They got 125 employees stretched all across our market, taking care of folks. When you leverage that strength for your benefit, what that's going to mean for you is they're going to put more money in your pocket just for making the decision. When you make the switch to Breda Pass Management, you immediately put money in your pocket just for making that choice. That is what they are all about. So please reach out and find them online. It's BredaPass.com. B-R-E-D-A. BredaPass.com. B-R-E-D-A. Make the switch. Put more money in your pocket. Trust the same pest control provider that UGA trusts the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. That is Breda Pass Management. All right, we got a lot to do. Wednesday for us, not normally a Jeff Sintel day, but y'all, there's been so much going on with UGA, UGA recruiting. Big commitment this week. Huge collection of official visitors uh, this past weekend. A lot kind of out there. So I want to kind of cover as much ground as we can on that with Jeff Sintel on a special Wednesday visit. We have a special guest that joins us on Friday. So Jeff going to slide up here and be with us today on Wednesday. Preview and precursor of what you'll get tonight on Before the Hedge is presented by Kroger. So Jeff's going to give us some of that here today coming up in just a couple of minutes time prior to that though uh, i do want to go around the doghouse and before we bring on jeff by the way in a minute we'll also give you an update on that great summer contest that we're doing courtesy of our friends at kroger and trigger grills we'll tell you more about that coming up here in a moment there as well but before any of that and all of that let's go around the doghouse here for a moment and yesterday was a very wild day in sports and i realize not everybody cares about golf and certainly this is not a golf show i am a big golf fan though and so i'm like any big golf fan i mean i was just like knocked over when you found out that the pga tour and uh live golf we're going to have some sort of a merger here or kind of a joining of forces and i think there's still a lot being done to sort of figure out what all this means it's obviously a very complicated story it conjures up a lot of emotions for a lot of people for a lot of different ways and i think if you're not a golf fan the thing you need to understand is is that you just can't hardly put into words how big of a deal this is if for no other reason the fact that it's a total about face from where the sport of golf was as recently as a couple of weeks ago certainly but this time a year ago the hard line being drawn in the sand and now all of a sudden you've got these two entities joining forces and you know the investment from the saudis now into what we kind of commonly thought of as the pga tour and obviously the dp tour which is the european tour this is just such a huge change for golf and i think for those of us who care about that sport it's shocking how quickly everything can become different and it's obviously pretty easy i think to draw a line with college football and all this there as well that much like golf has been i think college football sort of sits in kind of a precarious spot here a little bit right now where we've obviously endured a lot of change we have a sense that more change is coming on the way and when you see something like what happened with golf yesterday I think as a college football fan, you're left to be a little nervous and maybe at times even a little anxious about, well, gosh, is one day is the presence of money or the ability to go out and make more money or something related to the finances of all this? Is this just going to make the sport, as I've understood it, just completely disappear? And if if so much can change so quickly, whether it be one day out of the clear blue, Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC or a little bit later out of the clear blue, USC and UCLA kind of joining the the big 10 if things like that can happen so fast then what else could happen fast in the future that's a total about face from where things have been in the past i think if you're a college football fan while you don't want to be fatalistic i think it's sort of fair to ask you know you know can we be sure the sport as we've known it and the sport as we've loved it is going to remain in place here for the future 
At times, it sort of seems like the answer is, gosh, I don't know. But it's the same way the golf fans have been forced to say, gosh, I don't know what the future holds here. Uh, things have gotten really weird really fast. In college football, I think you're also kind of concerned that things could get really weird really fast and even weirder faster sometime here in the future. So the point that I'm getting to is this. The people in position to make decisions moving forward are going to really matter. And I'm thinking about the Big Ten here for a moment. I've made it pretty clear. I'm no fan of Kevin Warren, the previous Big Ten commissioner. And this is a guy who oversaw a total transformation and, frankly, a trampling of you know, college sports as we had kind of previously known it for darn near a century, you know, bringing in USC, UCLA into the Big Ten. And then one day he just sort of tucked tail and ran and sort of exited college sports. Now he's, you know, up working for the Chicago Bears and, you know, running that organization. And, and this is clearly not a guy that had long term, you know, uh, incentive to stick around college sports. This is not a guy who really cared all that much about college sports. He doesn't care about anything other than his own career and sort of tucked tail and ran and, you know, left somebody else to sort of figure out you know the mess that he made there on that and what you hope here is down in the sec you've got different kind of stakeholders you've got different kinds of key decision makers greg sankey is the sec commissioner you hope that he's able to navigate the waters that we're in right now and bring us to a future that still sort of feels like college football as we've known it and college football as we've loved it. and for the coaches who are also going to have a chance to have some influence over this too. And the university president, athletic directors, things like that, they sort of understand that while there is money to be made, there is also a valuable institution to be protected. And so I'm thinking about this in light of what happened last week. You know, you had the SEC spring meetings in Destin, Florida, the league for now choosing to stay with an eight-game conference schedule. And you think, well, maybe for 2025, you may – sort of expand to a nine-game conference schedule. That may become the long-term future of the SEC. But for now, they're sticking with eight. And I want to play this for you. This is Kirby Smart, who last week was asked about this. Now, this is a much longer clip than I would typically play. It's in a little bit excess of a minute. It's also not the world's greatest audio because it was just kind of recorded on site there. But to me, this is an example of the kind of thought process that needs to be in place. That if you're a sports fan, like golf or some of the stuff we've seen in college football as of late – kind of nervous about where the future of the sport is going do you have people in charge that at least care about the right stuff that want to stick around and be lifers in this sport and be caretakers of an institution that's been good to them in the past and they hope can still be good to them in the future i think guys like kirby smart give you a fighting chance to still build a future for college football that sort of feels like the sport as we've loved it so the question to kirby was you know, the idea of going to a nine-game conference slate, staying in an eight-game conference slate, also some stuff in here about the future of rivalries like Georgia-Auburn. It seems like a guy like Kirby is still asking the right kinds of questions, even if the kind of future for all of this is still very much unknown. This is Kirby Smart from last week. The most overrated conversation there ever was. <laughs> Four years, you play everybody home and away. I mean, I get it. The traditional rivalries, you have three, you have two, you have one, you have this, you have that. I mean, you guys need something to write about bad when you start talking about this. It's just not that big a deal to me because you, you, you have to win your games to advance. Right? You need to be in the SEC championship, possibly with an expanded playoff. That's a lot better topic for me. Is somebody going to get an advantage by not going to the SEC championship and making the playoff? That's a lot better topic to me than eight or nine games. I mean, I, I don't – I think you got to win your games. And now more than ever, it's going to be that way because it's not going to be divisions. But that's true for both. 
What would you think about the uh, George Auburn game being played every two years if it goes to the sticks at eight? It's be tough, you know. There's there's so many people that want the, that that historic rivalry, including me. I was part of that rivalry. I grew up you know, part of that rivalry. I think it's, a, it's one of the best there is, but I think it's one of the uh, costs of progress, bringing two more teams in. It's one of the costs of uh, scheduling, getting more balance in terms of you're going to play everybody. I think that it's not going to be just be George Auburn. It's going to be somebody else for somebody else. Um, sometimes you call that progress. Sometimes you upset the fan. Um, I think that that's good debate in terms of whether fans, because your traditionalists want those rivalries and, and others want to see you play the teams they never get to see you play, and you can't have both. Let me try to sum all this up here for a moment. I do worry a little bit about where college sports, the SEC in particular, is heading. Sometimes I'm not quite so sure we're on our way to change for the better in all areas. I'm, I'm really not. And yet, at the same time, when you hear a guy like Kirby Smart talking there, it seems like he's considering all of the important variables. The history of tradition, rivalries like Georgia-Auburn, the chance to play more interesting games like Georgia-Oklahoma or Georgia-Texas in the future. The bottom line for me here is, is that even though I think the future for college sports and the sec in particular is pretty uncertain i think i trust kirby smart to be one of the key decision makers at that table i think i trust greg sankey the league's commissioner, to be one of the key decision makers at that table i can't guarantee that all of this is going to head to a to an immediate or long-term future that's obviously better than the one we've enjoyed in the past i can't guarantee that necessarily but i think i trust these people to sort of understand the stakes and what's at stake here i believe i trust the sec folks more than i trust the big 10 folks i I don't always like the way in which uh the direction that league has led in Uh, i think i trust the sec to do that a little bit more but when you see the change that happened with golf yesterday it's a nervous time for sports fans because i think we are all made aware of the fact that almost anything can change very very quickly even stuff you never could have imagined and never could have predicted and all you can hope is guys like your coaches and your ADs and your university presidents and your league commissioner you hope they have the forethought to make these changes changes for the better we'll have to wait and see how true that ends up being that is around the doghouse here today on dog nation daily presented by Breda pass management and before i bring on jeff sintel and talk some uj recruiting with him let me also remind you about a great thing we have ongoing at dog nation right now as we head towards the fourth of july that's america's birthday and it's time when we think about the things that make america great now i'm thankful for a long list of things that i believe that make our country great and sometimes it's like the famous stuff like george washington or abraham lincoln stuff like that But also, when we think about what makes America great, we also think about just those average, everyday American heroes that are showing up in a big way in your community. And that's what we want to celebrate here right now with our great Celebrate American Heroes event, courtesy of our friends at Traeger Grills and Kroger. Here's what's going to happen. Somebody very soon is going to win a Traeger Ironwood XL Grill. It's an amazing grill. And they're also going to win a Kroger $500 gift card there as well. Now, here's how you can be a winner by telling a story of an American hero in your own life, an average everyday American hero, somebody that's just going above and beyond, uh, serving you or serving the community that you live in. It can be, you know, uh, uh, armed services veteran. It can be a teacher. It can be a fireman. It can be a police officer. It can be anything along those lines. Uh, the story that you tell, though, could make you a big winner. So here's what I need you to do. Go to dognation.com. You're going to share a photo or a short video that allows you to help tell that story about the American hero in your own life and the story you tell could make you a winner courtesy of Traeger Grills and Kroger as I said before. Giving away a Traeger Ironwood XL Grill and a Kroger $500 gift card. Now, if you have not 
made a nomination yet, which is your entry, then you have between now and June 17th to go to go do that. So dognation.com is the place to make that happen. Uh, you go to dognation.com, you can find out all the details about this particular contest, but also you can make your nomination, which is your uh, entry for a chance to win. So go to dognation.com uh, between now and June 17th to get that in. Someone's going to be a winner of a Traeger Ironwood XL Grill and a Kroger $500 gift card as we celebrate American Heroes this month with Dog Nation. All right, before we're done on today's show, I want to take another look at the blue chip ratio from Bud Elliott and 24-7 Sports here in a couple of minutes because I think there's a pretty important takeaway there in terms of teams that we sort of think of as possibly playoff contenders that might not actually be as much of a playoff contender as you might think. We're going to do some of that before we're done. Also, next week is a very big week in the SEC. We'll talk about more about why that is. Have a little bit of a prediction about how I think that might turn out. We'll do that here in a bit. But for now, speaking of predictions, predictions on what's next, the 2024 class for Georgia and what has recently happened with a major commitment this week and a very uh, robust recruiting weekend this past weekend. Not usually able to speak to Jeff on a Wednesday, but this felt like a great time to do it. So let's do it right now. Jeff Sintel here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Boy, so much has gone on with UGA recruiting as of late. It's a great time to have Jeff Sintel on our show. Jeff, obviously very busy getting ready for his own show tonight and covering these twists and turns of this 2024 class. So we're so happy to be able to have a few minutes with Jeff Sintel here today. So let's kind of jump right into it. Jeff, I guess let me begin with this. Uh, obviously, the next thing on the horizon for Georgia fans is very interesting right now. But as a way of setting up for that, let's talk about what just happened for Georgia this week. Bringing a guy like Justin Green to this 2024 class, big-time defensive lineman out of a Mountain View program. Green's a guy you've covered pretty uh, closely for us here at DogNation.com. What is Georgia getting in this defensive lineman here this week? There's a lot, Brandon. Um, good morning to everybody on a, on a Wednesday. You know, I think, Brandon, the thing here is this is an in-state kid, Brandon, that Georgia was late on. And when I mean late, they didn't offer him until after the national championship dominance against TCU. They offered late January, early February. And really all he needed was three visits. You know, perhaps the reason why, you know, Trey Scott, who has an impeccable resume, was a little late here was because I I love this part about Justin's story, JG's story, is Brandon, he was about 215 pounds in his sophomore year, end of his sophomore year. And he decided that wasn't good enough for, like, the Power Five and maybe ACC offers and attention he was getting. And he wanted to go bigger. He wanted to be better. His dream is to play in the NFL. And he basically changed his diet. He worked out two or three times a day, protein shakes, what have you. And by his junior year, he was, like, 245. And then he, by the time Georgia started looking at him, he was 250, 255, and what he did, man, is he turned himself into a guy that everyone wanted. And Georgia had to come in here late. Alabama and South Carolina were really entrenched in his junior year. And it was an in-state win out of, I'm told, checking my notes, Brandon, that it's still really hard for the national champions to, to recruit out of Gwinnett County. But somehow, Georgia program development 
Um, that's what sold Justin Green on Georgia. It's certainly very exciting, and obviously Green wasn't the only defensive lineman that Georgia had a chance to try to entertain this past weekend. It seems like we've heard some good stuff from Justin Scott, another Justin, by the way, but uh, off his official visit there as well. Is it too early to tell how the needle may have been moved with a guy like Scott last weekend? I think it moved very well, Brandon. I think it was already right there to begin with, and that's without a significant visit. Um, get this, this is the type of player he is, Brandon. He's about 6'4", 3'10". You know what he did when he got back to the Chicago metro area after his Georgia official? He was playing summer league basketball. He was ripping down offensive rebounds, the type of athlete you have there. I thought Georgia was in a envious spot going in um, with contenders like Miami and Notre Dame, and I think they really moved the dial with Justin Scott a lot, and Brendan, I know you pay attention to online chatter. I'm pretty sure you've noticed some of the things that Nitro Tuggle has been saying yeah. about uh, Justin Scott and how much of a fit, how great of a fit he would be in Athens. Yeah, there's always a recruiter, too, that kind of become the hype men for the class, and Nitro's kind of been one of those guys. And he's Justin Scott's sort of been his guy now for a while that he's been touting on there. I don't always know what that means necessarily. I just think it's personally very fun when Nitro Tuggle's been on Twitter, you know, saying, hey, this guy's coming, he's next, or whatever he's been saying. So uh, I'm always a big fan of the sort of recruiting hype man that seems to kind of appear in every Georgia class, and Nitro's kind of that guy right now. So I'll take as much of that as I can possibly get. Brandon, I'll tell you, he must have some pretty good cliff notes and some pretty good intel because a lot of the things that Nitro Tuggle has been uh, has been tweeting out and sharing on the sly, maybe he uses emojis, maybe he uses those hieroglyphics on the recruiting trail that you and I are, are fond of sometimes, but got some pretty good he's got some pretty good juice he's got some pretty good intel because he's been spot on so far so let's go back to last weekend here for a moment you know you and i haven't had a chance to talk live recruiting in a little while here because i was on vacation last week uh for people who kind of want that thumbnail sketch of what that first week in june actually looked like for georgia dylan riola taking his official visit and the other things that are going on there uh what can you kind of i guess tell us big picture about what last weekend was like there as georgia got a very busy month started yeah, so Brandon, first of all, the perspective of it all, um, it was it was grandeur, man. It was glorious in a business where I know lots of folks think the audience um, notices that we try to hype up everything. Well, the hype is really real, and I wanted to make sure our reporting reflected that, Brandon. You remember last year with Arch Manning, Caleb Downs, Justice Haynes, Damon Wilson, you know, all those guys. Well, there were, I think there were four or five stars in town. I think there were 13 overall prospects. Uh, this past weekend, Brandon, there were seven, five on the defensive side out of the 16 guys, Brandon. And I want people to, to get a good scope of this because, folks, Georgia is doing business very differently now in 2022 and 2023 when it comes to recruiting. They want to jam-pack all of their closing, all of their key interactions, they want to put the hay in the barn in the month of June and July. And you look no further than they're only allowed 56 official visits, my friend. And they just used 16 last weekend. They used five in late in May for the scavenger hunt. And they're going to pour in another 14 uh, this weekend as well with another loaded group. So really, you look at those 16, Brandon, besides there being 12 top 100 um, did we lose Jeff? 
man, they were used this past weekend. And I know, I know, I try to give you a stat that maybe wants you back up off the back up off the table a little bit, Brandon. This was something for Georgia last weekend, Brandon. All I picked fifteen of the biggest big boys in college football. This is a good scope here of the fifteen big boys in college football. That's Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Florida, Oregon, Texas. Texas A&M, all the big boys, Penn State, Michigan, group of 15 power five last weekend, and my friend, the dogs hosted seven all by themselves. Uh, really amazing. Uh, uh, certainly a, a very, very busy month for Georgia, and I think a lot of Georgia fans are kind of left to wonder, okay, well, you know, next dominoes to fall here. It seems like there's some interesting stuff going on, including – I guess, Jeff, Georgia's going to sign 100 tight ends here in this 2024 class. You know, the response to having a tight end decommitment a few weeks ago is to essentially sign every other player at that position. You know, what can you tell us about what's going on here with Todd Hartley and kind of some of the other dominoes that might be ready to fall here on the heels of what sounds like a very productive weekend this past weekend? So, my friend, I guess I've been hanging out with you a little too long. But, like, so – when I first saw Carter Nelson's film about three or four months ago, I, I noticed myself, and it was kind of like I had my version of a chortle, Brandon, because I see this kid, and you know what? If, if Georgia comes out and says Carter Nelson's a receiver, folks would be giddy about this. Brandon, first of all, he's in eight-man football, and he's in Nebraska, and he threw for 15 touchdowns, ran for 14, caught 11, he pole vaults 14 feet. He runs the 111.5. He high jumps seven freaking feet, Brandon. I mean, you put all this together and you just don't see this. I don't see this. Eight-man football, 6'5", 215, maybe 6'4", and some change. This guy brings everything to the table. They told Georgia this. Here's a little key note, Brandon, that people are going to read later today. This is how big of a recruit Carter Nelson was. Did you know that when Jaden Riddell, higher-rated guy, number one guy in the country on on three, I think he's number three uh, tied in in the country for 24-7 sports. And Georgia fans, you know, had a good time, danced a little bit when Jaden Riddell committed. Yeah. Did you know that the dogs made sure that Kirby Smart called Carter Nelson and his family and say, hey, we just want to let you know what's happening here. This was like a day early. And they said, this doesn't change the way we see you at all with your role, how we think we can win. And, Brandon, this is the big, bold statement, and I do not throw this around recklessly. I don't think there will ever be another Brock Bowers at Georgia. There shouldn't be. He's the greatest tight end in Georgia history. He's a Mackey Award winner. But you know what? Carter Nelson can do a lot of the things that Brock Bowers does for Georgia, and he can do them pretty spectacularly, too. I think that's a really interesting thing to hear, the story that you tell about you know how much Kirby – wanted him to know he's going to be a part of this class and and the comparison there between Brock Bowers and all of that and I'll admit this is not a player that I really knew a whole lot about until some of the recent chatter kind of popped up here I'll certainly acknowledge that but there is something to be said for well he must be a special player if Georgia has been as successful as it has been recruiting tight ends including Riddell including Heinrich the other day the fact that they still want this guy too 
would lead you to believe, well, he must be a truly a, a, a very interesting athlete. And the idea that he's also you know, potentially kind of a wide receiver, they flex out Brock Bowers so much that it almost seems like the position distinction probably doesn't matter as much as it used to necessarily. The context clues here would certainly be- lead you to believe this guy does have a chance to be special, just given how much George is prioritizing him, understanding that it's not really a position of need. It's not, but it is a position of it's a position of wealth at Georgia. That's yeah. that's the way we should look at it, my friend. Georgia wants to be uh, not not just one percenters at the tight end. They want to be like point zero zero two percenters at the tight end spot. Let me give you two reasons why. Number one, Hartley did take his two um, you know allowed NCA visits out to see Nelson in the spring. He's basically a one man track team. Um, and then what they do, uh, very, let's think about this for a second. Let's review some more notes here. You remember last year with Walker Lyons? Yeah. You remember how he, Georgia wanted three tight ends? He wanted another one to pair with Pierce Sperling and uh, the fabulous Lawson Lucky as well. But he needed a third one, especially because, especially because you know, the Walker Lyons situation with his Mormon mission wasn't even going to be available until 2024 anyway. So this is still the blueprint. Georgia was looking at a three tight end class. If you look at the numbers, you know, Brock Bowers is obviously going to be a top ten pick next year. Then you got Oscar Delp, who's kind of trending towards the NFL after three seasons as well already. I believe this will be a big breakout for Oscar this year. And you see a guy, Brandon, he's just not a tight end. I say, I say it a lot, but it's like on a chessboard. Everybody says that, you know, Kirby plays that four D underwater chess. Well, the chess piece, which is the queen that can go yeah. in any direction and can do anything for Georgia's offense, is the tight end. And certainly Carter Nelson, if he said, you know, you can be a wide receiver, dude, or you can be a flex end, dude, you can do whatever you want, I think Georgia's going to win a lot of football games and maybe a lot, a couple more championships if they have athletes like Carter Nelson, that skill set. And, Brandon, the market correction is going to happen. Everybody's started to notice Carter over the last couple of months. I think on three now him has, has him as the nation's number two tight end. 24-7 sports has him as the nation's number nine. I think the composite's going to catch up with ESPN and rivals. They took a, take a really good look and see what Carter Nelson can do. A lot of folks wonder, like, you know, hey, he high jumps seven feet, but he only high jumps six feet and a quarter inch or six feet four inches this year. And they thought, well, he, didn't, he wasn't able to keep up those metrics. The reason why is he could barely walk. He had, a, he had an injured ankle where he didn't do high jumps at all, couldn't do that turn around the high jump. And Brandon, on a bad ankle, a bum, a bum ankle, he still high jumps six feet and about four inches, and that's in a six-foot-five, 215-pound body. If it sounds like my voice is rushed, is man, I get excited about this stuff. I've been yeah. doing this for a while, Brandon, but when you see a young man that's like, nope, never seen an eight-man guy being recruited by Georgia or Kirby Smart before. Never seen a guy that threw touchdowns, 15 of them, caught touchdowns, wow. 11 of them, and then ran touch for touchdowns, 14 of them. Never seen that guy, especially not with a kid that runs an 11-5 and can high jump seven feet. Amazing prospect here. And Georgia, I'm going to tell you, my friend, they are right in the thick of this thing. Here's a cool little nugget. It'll be in the story on dognation.com later today. Do you think as much as Georgia has won and as much as they've done with Brock Bowers, that the narrative with Darnell Washington and, and Bowers would have changed. But with the Nelson family, here's a key spot of intel. They still thought that SEC tight ends were battering rams okay. and plotters and pluggers. 
until the national championship game. Yeah. That's when they first finally watched Georgia. They first saw that demolition of TCU, and they saw Brock Bowers, and they're like, huh, this is exactly the way Carter should be used in major college football. Yeah. So if you want to see another side benefit of playing for the Natty and winning the Natty, with everything that Georgia and Brock Bowers has done so far, they get to that game and they finally get eyeballs from a key, could be a clutch acre recruit in the 2024 class. They finally get to know Georgia and what they do with Brock Bowers and tight ends. And that's how the door swings open for Georgia with Carter Nelson. All right, two quick things. I'm going to ask you kind of an off-the-wall question to conclude this in a moment. But before that, a little bit more straightforward. Georgia lost down on Sammy Brown this week. That's a player that I really like. Even with all that Georgia's recruited the linebacker position, uh, I would have loved to have had Sammy Brown in this 2024 class for Georgia. I do think the success that Georgia has had at linebacker would have made winning that recruiting battle much more difficult to do. So I guess what do you read into this long term about what it means, what it doesn't mean? Clearly Clemson's pretty hot on the recruiting trail right now. I know K.J. Bolden just took his visit to Clemson there as well. You know, How much reverberation does the Brown to Clemson move potentially have here, if anything at all? Well, first of all, I'm gonna. Everybody's got their own take on this thing, and I guess I'll just say this about Sammy Brown. This is a guy that, I, goodness gracious, I think he squats 550. I think he power cleans 405. I think he bench presses well over 350, 360. He doesn't mind more weight on the bar. What he kept telling me over and over was that Georgia's incredible depth was actually a plus for him, and I believe him. And this is a young man that's never made a B in his life. He's an achiever. So being around achievers doesn't really bother Sammy. I just think this was simply a fit. Clemson's culture is known. It's based on faith. It's based on doing things differently. It's based on family. And I think that was always a great fit for Sammy. I think this was a case where maybe, I mean, somebody wanted to say, Sammy Brown, Jeff, let's get real. He was at Georgia next fall or next spring. He might be number six on the depth chart, might be number seven. I might agree with you on that. But I don't think that was not much a factor as, yeah, playing time's better at Clemson. The pathway is better at Clemson. But he just felt like home at Clemson. He fit. He fit with the coaches. There's a key relationship with Heaven Brown Schuler, a guy from Pace Academy who probably had Georgia number two. Clemson was his number one. There's just something different to Clemson. It appeals to a lot of young men and a lot of families. And I think Clemson simply just won and they just felt better of a fit there. And I think what it does, Brandon, typical Georgia, um, you saw the weekend visit from DeMarcus Riddick kind of keep things intact with Georgia and DeMarcus Riddick, even though that Auburn and Alabama are still going to plug hard, and Alabama has a great shot at his foot there. But it, here's what Georgia does, kind of like losing Landon Thomas, might actually turn out to be a blessing because now it's going to make it a lot easier for them to recruit a guy like Justin Williams the number one linebacker in the country out of Texas. This teammate already is very fondly thinking of Georgia, Joseph Jonah Ajanye. They're coming in on their officials on June 23rd. And with like a lot of things, remember when Georgia lost Hazelwood, they ended up with George Pickens. You know, when Georgia lost out on Owen Papo years ago, it helped things out with N'Kobe Dean. I mean, Georgia has a way with its recruiting prowess to turn a loss like here in Sammy Brown. And I think he's a great football player. It is a loss. They're going to get a net gain out of this, I feel. 
So final thing for you, and I'll admit, this is always one of the hardest things for me to do, especially as it relates to recruiting, sort of trying to decide which rumor do you elevate enough to kind of talk about on the show. So let me try to ask this as carefully as I can. What's going on with Dylan Riola? Anything uh, new to report on, on Riola and his sort of high school future? In other words, if you were to go visit Dylan and see one of his games this upcoming season, would you need a plane ticket or a full tank of gas? Well, it depends on if you got a hybrid, Brandon. I'll say that if you got an electric car or something like that. Um, I'm just going to say this. We're not going to get too far out of, the, out of the narrative there, but sometimes when the buzz just doesn't go away, and Brandon, I've heard this for probably a month now, I think there's something to it. I think, I think potentially, and I'll say this, if it does become a situation where Dylan um, Riola plays his high school senior season somewhere else, I think it's going to be a good thing for Dylan Ryle, and I think it's going to be a good thing for Georgia. Well, it's going to be a fun thing. You'll be able to just watch him more closely and see him against better competition, which would just be more entertaining. So I think that's kind of interesting. Obviously, if people aren't understanding what we're saying here, there have been some rumors that Dylan might move to Georgia and might do that here. So let me ask you a very, very quick follow-up, then we can wrap this up. You know, How does this compare to the situation with uh, – What's his name who ended up going to Miami that was at Valdosta for a little while? How does this compare with that? And I guess if you want to also add to it, would this help Georgia with other players that it might recruit depending on which school Riola might transfer to if he did indeed transfer? So uh, let me say this. You wanted it quick, right? Yes and yes and yes and yes. I think the the thing is different. If if, if Riola comes to moves to another state, it might not even be Georgia. Um, and that's a big if because all this stuff is not settled yet and it's still in the works. But I think you're going to see a very calculated move take place because that family's really smart. They've always had good guardrails and good reins on his career. Of course, the father played 14 years in the NFL with one team with the Detroit Lions. And, you know, I, I just think there's something there. You keep hearing it over and over. I don't think there's anything to report yet. I don't think anything's final. But um, there's something there that everybody keeps talking about. I've been to everywhere I go. That's the question I get, Brandon. And I'm not trying to deflect. I'm trying to give integrity and honesty maybe to what's out there. But everywhere I go, I hear it. High school coaches in the state of Georgia talk more than a five-star gossiper at the fence post in a suburban Atlanta country club uh, community. They talk all the time. People have been thinking about it. People have been wondering about it. And, you know, I'll say this. If he does make a move, then – there's ways that could benefit him, maybe playing against a different type of football, maybe that football in the south where he gets used to the speed of the game. Those are all ways that it would benefit um, Dylan Riola. But, Brandon, you and I are big GHSA guys. We have sure. to know the rule book back and forth. And you can be certain the term bona fide move would have to be all over a high-profile move like this. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's certainly very interesting. I'm guessing we would have a lot of complicated conversations and all of this in the uh, weeks and potentially months to come, so I'm here for it, Jeff. Hey, I know it's a busy time for you, so thanks for squeezing us in. We'll look forward to hearing you talk about so much of this and more tonight on Before the Hedge is presented by Kroger. A uh, great video presentation that you'll have for us, and we will uh, look forward to talking to you back here again on Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pass Management very soon there as well. All right, man. Glad to have you back. Good talking to you on a Wednesday. For sure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So how about that from Jeff? And as I said before, you know, like, I try not to take myself too seriously because I'm kind of a moron. But, you know, when you do a show like this, that, you know, we, we can't just be like, 
we can't just be chasing every rumor that's out there because uh, that would make us look foolish more often than not. And a lot of these things aren't worthy of being elevated. But if you've spent some time online as of late, you have seen some chatter about uh, the idea that Dylan Raiola, for whatever reason, I think there's some some speculation about what that reason might be, but for whatever reason, might be considering leaving Arizona, coming here to the state of Georgia. I still sort of think maybe it wouldn't happen, I, I guess, if I'm guessing, but it's interesting to hear Jeff give a little bit of, uh, you know, breathe a little bit of life into that as, as a potential rumor. I mean, ultimately, this for me would just be entertaining. Like, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? It's probably six of one, half dozen of another. He's going to be, you know, at UGA five minutes from now, you know, virtually speaking. But would it be entertaining? For a state that's already pretty entertaining this year with a historic 2026 quarterback at Carrollton and you know guys like Mike Matthews at Parkview or K.J. Bolden and uh, Edric Houston, guys like that at Buford. When you start thinking about what the state kind of brings to the table this year, it's already a pretty entertaining year in this state. Uh, with the presence of a Mr. Riola make it even more entertaining, I think that would probably get the job done. So as someone who, uh, who loves high school football in this state, it would certainly be fun. I still don't quite know if it's real, but it sounds like Jeff is taking it somewhat seriously. So we'll see where that goes from there. Stay tuned for more, I guess. Watch this space. We may have some for you if it ever uh, goes down. Uh, for now, though, let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And we heard from one of our uh, Dog Nation folks in our first and 15 this morning at DogNation.com. He said, B.A., we've got a cruise coming up next week. We're going out of Tampa on Royal Caribbean. I think it's really exciting. I love that. And I'll also tell you this. I'm not supposed to say this, but some rumblings and grumblings out there not too early to start thinking about at least i think there's a chance anyway uh a bigger better than ever before unlike anything we've ever done dog nation cruise in 2024 wait to hear about this i'm not supposed to say that I'm not supposed to say anything about it but but it could it could happen and if it did happen it'd be bigger and better than anything we've ever done before and i can't wait to tell you why if it does become real as of now I'm not even supposed to say what I just said, but let's find out what happens. In the meantime, though, you can have your own Royal Caribbean cruise experience. I've got a great weekend cruise coming up here uh, pretty soon, kind of a final summer sort of thing for me before we get very serious in the month of July about the upcoming season. Kind of one more kind of quick getaway for me there on that weekend cruise coming up. And sure enough, I'm taking my mom, taking my uh, brother's family. I'm not taking them they're paying their own way but the point is we're all going uh and uh jessica slater was a travel agent that helped us with all this so you can give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 and you can be just as excited about your own royal caribbean cruise vacation as i am every search that i start for a great royal caribbean cruise kind of begins with who's going to perfect day coco k because that to me is kind of like the crown jewel of anything involving royal caribbean right now i just love perfect day coco k and so you can have that same experience yourself jessica can help you with it so give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 all right i want to go back to the blue chip ratio thing for a minute because honestly I do like this. I'm going to kind of talk about the Georgia part of this a little bit earlier. Can we go back and show the uh, tweet from 24-7 Sports again to kind of give you the uh, full list? Because there's something I want you to see kind of down at the bottom of this for a moment. And I hate to uh, – yeah, let's take that off just for a second. Uh, I hate to, to shortchange our friends at Royal Caribbean, but I want you to see the bottom here on this. So you see, you know, kind of the final kind of group over here, and we're looking at this without transfers here right now. You know, Florida's there at 64%. Miami's there at 61%. Penn State's there at 55%. Michigan, they're recruiting better now than they have been. They're there at 54%. USC in at 52%. Auburn actually crosses over the blue chip threshold at 51%. And if you're, you need a reminder of what this is, 
These are former four and five star signees over the previous four years. These are the teams that Bud Elliott from 24-7 Sports says have a chance of winning this year's national championship if you're at least in excess of 50%. Now, let me tell you what you don't see here for a moment. Two teams that I think are worthy of considering here for a moment. You do not see Tennessee and you do not see Florida State. And on almost any conversation of who could make the college football playoff this year, you certainly see Florida State in a lot of those. Florida State's kind of thought to be the best team on paper in the ACC. But by comparison, look at Clemson. You know, Clemson's just behind Texas A&M and Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State. 72% of the Clemson roster is former four- and five-star recruits. So, you know, Clemson has been able to maintain its recruiting prowess despite the fact they've seemingly regressed pretty big time on the field over the course of the last couple of years. But on paper, they have more raw talent than what Florida State does. And so while I think a lot of people sort of treat Florida State as a more legitimate playoff contender right now than Clemson is, a lot of that because of Jordan Travis, quarterback and things like that, the actual roster strength here, you would be left to conclude that kind of favors Clemson more so than Florida State. At least be careful about that. And as I said, the other team you don't really see on here, it's Tennessee. And, you know, Tennessee, because of what it did last year, being Alabama primarily, being at one point in time number one in the college football playoff rankings and a part of the conversation for as long as they were a year ago, I think Tennessee fans sort of like to think of themselves as kind of having arrived on the national stage. But when you look at what, you know, frankly, Josh Heupel inherited there, kind of a mess, and you think about the fact that, you know, only just now we're starting to see the real wheels spinning for the recruiting apparatus for Tennessee. We believe some of that's probably been aided by NIL. I think you're left to conclude here for a moment, okay, for now, Tennessee's status as a real championship contender is just not as robust as Vols fans want to think it is. They're going to probably be somewhere in the preseason 15 or 16 range. But when you see some of these early look-ahead point spreads, and when some of those don't quite seem right to you, this is part of what doesn't quite seem so right about that. For instance, early season, Tennessee goes to Florida. Based on the way that both these teams played on the field last year, even on the road, you might be left to assume, well, that's an easy Tennessee win. Vegas says no. Vegas favors Tennessee, but not by a wide margin. There's some respect being shown for Florida there. It's the blue chip ratio for the Gators that kind of aids in that and adds to that and that's why it can't necessarily be viewed as an easy win for Tennessee uh, playing a team like Florida which scuffled to you know basically have a losing record in the conference last year they still have some measurable talent on that roster when you think about you know Tennessee trying to take the next step okay well last year we beat Alabama they would say now we're ready to do even more this year the blue chip ratio conversation would lead you to believe no not quite yet that the next step in any program's development is a real doozy and if it's ever going to happen for Tennessee it's going to probably take a little longer to occur so to me this is worth kicking around it's worth kind of looking at and seeing you know what's what it's it's at least an important consideration in any type of prediction you might make for the upcoming season I think Bud Elliott does good work on this I think he deserves credit for it. For the most part, he gets that credit now. And so I think it's kind of a fun part of our college football offseason. One more thing to give you here. We are one week away from something very interesting happening next week. And I guess this is only the second time this has kind of happened in my lifetime that I can remember where the SEC is going to make a schedule announcement for 2024 next week. It's going to be one of those deals where we don't know the dates necessarily, but we're going to know the teams. We're going to find out who Georgia is going to play a week from now in 2024 when they announced the eight 
eight-game conference slate for all the SEC teams next week. And as you know, that this was kind of the sort of stopgap one-year holdover before the long-term schedules put into place uh, starting, we think, in 2025. It sounds like the SEC is going to show some respect to traditional rivalries here. That means while Georgia would not play Auburn every year, we believe, in an eight-team conference schedule going forward, they probably are going to play Auburn next year. They certainly will play Florida. We certainly understand that. Let me give you one prediction. I don't know who else Georgia plays in 2024. I think it'll be interesting to find out. Do they still play Tennessee? Do they still play South Carolina? Those are kind of what I think of as Georgia's geographic rivals. These are short drives, teams that Georgia has long history with, you know, longish history in the case of Tennessee, very long history in the case of South Carolina. Does Georgia hold on to some of its geographic rivals? We'll find that out. Here's the one prediction I am willing to make. I think there's almost an absolute guarantee Georgia plays Alabama in 2024. I just do. I think this is true for a couple of reasons. Reason number one, Nick Saban is 70-plus years old. Whether he coaches one more year, two more years, five more years, it is not some sort of hot take, bold prediction to say that Nick Saban's career is almost done. You just can't coach until you're 100 years old. That's not going to happen. So if you want to guarantee yourself one more shot at Kirby versus Saban, one more shot at Georgia, Alabama, while Saban's still coach. Next year's regular season may be your only chance to really do that. After all, Nick Saban, Alabama were nowhere to be found in the postseason conversation this past year. They may not be there to be found this year either. So if you want it to happen, you may need a regular season 2024 to be able to get that done. Uh, that's part of the reason why. I also think the SEC wants to make a splash with its announcement. And given the fact that right now, one of the things that's gotten some attention is the fact that Georgia's current regular season schedule doesn't see georgia playing alabama or lsu some of these teams that are more notable i think the sec is going to want to give georgia a game like that to get some attention for the announcement it makes it next week i think they're going to kind of put their thumb on the scale on this a little bit i think it's going to give us georgia alabama it may give us even more than that too i know there's some people out there saying oh i think georgia's gonna play this team and that team we'll see about all of that the one prediction i'm comfortable making and obviously i've been wrong before maybe i'll be wrong about this too but the one prediction I'm kind of comfortable making is I believe that Georgia is going to play Alabama in 2024, and I believe we're going to find that out next week. And we'll also find out where does the game get played? Is that in Athens? Will that happen? Obviously, the last trip that Georgia uh, took to Tuscaloosa was in 2020, the last time these two teams played in a regular season. No guarantee they would kind of reverse course and come to Athens this time if the game is played because 2020 was sort of a one-off year in its own right. Plus, I would never put it past the SEC to stick it to Georgia. Seems like that's happened more than once before. But the prediction I will make, I believe next week we find out that Georgia plays Alabama in 2024. We'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And speaking of predictions, here's another prediction I'm comfortable making there as well. When you try the finish long drink this summer, you are going to love it. We've heard from so many folks who've kind of found it. We had one of our golden shoe winners earlier this week was talking about found that uh, finish long drink up there in Wisconsin where he lives. That's kind of the good thing that you have now is that wherever you are, <laughs> I got one of those deals. I sort of looking at both cameras every moment. But wherever you are, you're going to be able to find the finish long drink and you're going to be able to love it. It is just so great this time of year. My wife will tell you that uh, whether it comes to you know the long drink uh, cranberry which everybody in my neighborhood seems to love when you go out to the swimming pool pretty much everybody's got that long drink cranberry right now or the long drink strong eight and a half percent alcohol by volume long drink zero that's no carbs no sugar if you want to look good in your bathing suit this time of year that's a great way to do that i like the long drink traditional i like the blue can 
Uh, I love the way the condensation just kind of rolls off of it. I just think it looks good. It feels good. Nice cold can in your hand is always a, a great thing. It's got the grapefruit flavor. It's got the gin kick. You can't beat that. If you have not tried it, this is a great time to do it because it really and truly, when you're outside having fun right now, going to golf courses, going to the beach, whatever you're doing, going to the lake, the finished long drink goes great with it. So go to thelongdrink.com. Put in your zip code. You can find out where you can pick some up. You can also kind of learn the story of the finished long drink there as well. And it's, it's a good one. You know, coming from Helsinki back in the 1950s, the summer games were there. This drink was kind of invented then as a way of celebrating that. It's been popular in Finland ever since then. And it's been in America now for a few years here in Georgia, pretty much wherever you are. You can also try the finished long drink. Comes in a can, sort of looks like a beer, but it's not. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail, a really cool new category of beverage that you're going to love. So go to thelongdrink.com to find out more about that today. I am happy to report that last night was a good night for those of us who consider ourselves Atlanta sports fans. Braves came back to get a win against the Mets. You know, for Georgia fans who love hating on the lousy, stinking Gators, orange and blue, an easy transition to the orange and blue of the New York Mets, and especially last night because you had Pete Alonzo, former Gator, acting the part of a former Gator, totally embarrassing himself. He had a long home run. You'll give him credit for that. Gave the Mets a big early lead. But the Mets ought to know by now any kind of lead they have against the Braves is not due to last, including last year's lead in the division, National League East. Braves eventually uh, made them look bad on that, and they made them look bad again last night. But Alonzo talked some trash, said whatever he said. He's a former Florida player, so you can imagine how distasteful it was. Well, our buddy Blooper, the Braves mascot, was having some fun. Now, this is a video. I don't have the video to show for you. I'm just showing you the screen of Michael Jordan talking about talking trash and you know having the guts to talk trash when you're behind and anybody can talk trash when you're ahead and so Blooper was laughing at Pete Alonzo he's also got uh you know one of the Braves players who kind of talking trash back in the direction of Pete Alonzo as his uh avatar there so a uh, good stuff from Blooper bad stuff from uh Pete Alonzo truly a lousy lousy stinking gator if there ever was one Mets never get tired of disgracing themselves last night another example of that so we will celebrate that with a golden shoe all around for everybody at Truist Park last night and speaking of the lousy stinging gators Pete Alonzo no stranger to losing florida no stranger to losing either and they'll take another l 143 days from right now that is our gatorator countdown hope all of you have a great day we'll see you back here tomorrow dog nation daily presented by breda pest management